welcome to Cropcast, a series of monthly podcasts covering topical issues throughout the season. We will also bring you some of the latest research from experts. My name is Tiffany McTaggart, and this week we're going to discuss cover crops and green manures. We're lucky today to benefit from two excellent speakers who both have a wealth of knowledge. We have Donald Dunbar, a senior agricultural consultant with SAC Consulting, and Dr. Robin Walker, a researcher and lecturer with SRUC. To begin with, I think it is best that we clarify the difference between cover crops and green manures. Donald, could you start by telling us what a cover crop is? Yeah, it's. Uh, I think the answer will be different uh, from different people, but but let me have a crack at it. Um, I, I'd say you know it's a crop between other crops, uh, and and so uh, I, I don't think it is being the main crop. It is uh, this other um, cover that you've slipped in between, uh, and to me, it's generally a post-harvest uh, thing, an establishment green cover uh, in the autumn. Okay. And Robin, do you have anything to add to that? It, it, basically, you would be looking at probably growing it over the winter period. So as, as Donald's just kind of said, you know, after your kind of main crop, trying to keep uh, or re- reduce the risk of having uh, bare soil over the winter period when there's, there's likely to be heavier rainfall and perhaps stronger winds and more risk of erosion and things like that. Um, and really to stop um, leaching of, of, of things like nitrogen and what have you. So it's trying to kind of maintain the uh, the stability and the, the kind of the nutrient uh, load of the soil um, so the following crops can benefit from that. Okay. And Robin, do you think you can then let us know what green manures are? Well, Yes, or at least the way I would look at it is a green manure is a type of cover crop, so they're, they're actually quite similar. But typically, um, it may be expected to be in the ground for a longer period of time, so rather than necessarily being over winter, although they could be, um, they may be over a, possibly a whole cropping year. Um, and um, quite often they would have some kind of nitrogen fixing crops or legume or several legumes in a mix of some kind. So definitely kind of the green element there and, and nitrogen fixing will be something that I would consider um, as, a, as a green manure, although um, it essentially is a, is a kind of a subform of, of, of a cover crop. Do you have anything to add to that, Donald? Yeah, no, I'd agree, you know, with what Robin has said there. Um, a green manure, essentially, to me, uh, will will be building fertility and, and it will contain a legume. And, and to me, it is something that goes in uh, during the growing season. Okay, so if we start by just taking a bit more of a look at cover crops, as they are slightly different, what sort of things should farmers been thinking about if they're wanting to put a cover crop in, Donald? Well, I think they've got to think, what is it they want to gain from it? Uh, I think there are lots of benefits of cover crops. Um, Robin outlined a good few of them at the beginning. And and the farmer's got to hone in on what it is that he's trying to do. So if he's in a high fertility site uh, and there's a lot of uh, nutrients there to be mopped up to prevent them being leached away because he's on a light sandy soil, then, you know, that's, that's primarily primarily what he's wanting to do, and he selects the cover crop um, appropriately. Uh, likewise, uh, if he's uh, uh, got uh, some structural issues and, and he's wanting to try and uh, alleviate that structure, then that, you know it's another reason. So it's not a case of you just take seed mix A and, and throw it in the ground. There needs to be a bit more thought to it than that. Yeah, 
exactly that. I mean, you're wanting to kind of know what your aim is, your primary aim for this, and, and choosing species which will hopefully um, fulfil that that aim. Um, I mean, one of the key things you've got to think about as well is is uh, what is likely to grow on your soils in your climate as well. So you need to kind of actually think about that a little bit rather than just saying, as, as Donald said, you don't just necessarily pick a cover crop mixture off the shelf. You may be able to kind of get something a bit more bespoke from some of the seed companies to match your conditions and, and the target aims that you're you're trying to achieve um so i mean you know be looking at things like you know soil ph for example you know some species will perform better than others in that um and things like the climate so as well maybe drier or wetter um or colder actually depends where you are as well if you're looking at scotland some areas are going to be more prone to uh, frost kill and things like that which may or may not be an advantage um depending on what you're, you're trying to do I think it's quite easy to get excited about cover crops and the benefits they're going to bring. And we, we certainly have a much smaller window of opportunity for that post-harvest cover crop in Scotland. And my experience has been if that cover crop is not established by the middle of September, you're probably better not to try and establish it. And, and if you do... You can only go down the route of using large seeds that have that energy reserve to get established, to get a rooting system going. Uh, because if you don't, you're probably going to have greater disbenefit from the cultivation uh, uh, to try and and get that crop uh, in the ground, the cost of getting that crop in the ground. You know, that stubble uh, is doing a protection job to the soil. Um, there are all the seeds that went over the back of the combine uh, are there for um, wildlife to take advantage of. Um, and the, these volunteers will equally establish and provide some kind of cover. And you go in and you, and you cultivate this up. And if you're too late, you'll actually be in a worse position than if you had just left it as a stubble. That's interesting. There's a lot for farmers to think about. So you mentioned before that you might want to say improve soil structure. What sort of species would you be looking at um, for that purpose? So you go for a deeper rooting um, species. So I think that's where the, the radish has been popular. Uh, uh, it produces a taproot that will uh, penetrate down through the soil. And as the season goes on, that taproot expands, uh, and, and so you're getting uh, a bit more soil movement uh, uh, from that. I mean, the radish can put on quite a bulb if it was sown earlier, uh, if the nutrient status is there, and if the season is kind enough. Um, I have seen some quite big radish uh, uh, bulbs produced as a cover crop, and then they have actually become a little bit of an issue to the following crop that spring. Um, so yes, you, you, you want something that, that, that's going to be uh, a bit more deeper rooting. Okay. And Robin, if you wanted to grow something to improve the organic matter of the soil, what might you choose? Well, it kind of ties in a little bit with the, the soil structure uh, information that Donald's just said. So you're really looking for something with 
tap roots, great, but also fibrous roots as far down the soil profile as you can get. I mean, you may, you may be lucky to get more than 20 or 30 centimetres in the growing period because it, obviously it's winter, so things will tend to kind of stop sort of November-ish or, or slow right down. Um, but what you're trying to do is encourage the organic matter and linked into that um, it's basically food for worms so if you can encourage worms to get in there that will also help with the soil structure as well so it's a combination of these types of of uh, effects that you're really trying to encourage but yeah anything with big biomass if you're looking at a big biomass above ground you're probably going to be looking at a reasonable biomass below ground and it's, it's trying to kind of get that side of stuff and then obviously what you do with the uh, the above ground biomass whether you incorporate it or what have you, will also have a have a link into the well, hopefully improving the soil organic matter um, once that's incorporated. Okay, so Donald mentioned before about you ideally want them sown by mid September. What management are they going to need once they've been sown? Well, I would say before mid September. So ideally, you want them sown at the end of August. Um, soil temperature is uh, is still there. If you're on heavier ground, soil temperature, the weather changes can can drop quite quickly. Um, so you want speed of uh, establishment, um, uh, and and to do that through a minimal cultivation method, uh, that could be successfully done using a cultivator drill, just in a one pass, or or some other kind of um, you know direct strip drill. It would be uh, another option. Going in and, and scattering um, the, the seed on the surface and, and running through with a harrow, you know, you're, you're starting to get a wee bit uh, um, hit, or, hit or miss. Uh, but but it can be successful in certain uh, uh, seasons where you get the the, the moisture um, and and uh, to get those those seeds established. Again, linked to what Donald's just said, uh, the establishment, if, you, if you're if starting to kind of get outside your kind of um, optimum period, so basically late August, very early September, you might need to start thinking about upping your seed rates and things like that. So there's, a, there's an impact there, um, particularly if you're using some of the... Um, you know, kind of broadcast and kind of incorporation or, you know, like incorporation of the seed. Um, so th there's an impact there and obviously there's a cost and a, uh, element there, but establishment of the, the, the crop as evenly as possible is, is an absolute must because otherwise you, you're just negating all those things that you're trying to, to, uh, to do, uh, that are, you know, all the positive things that you're trying to do. Okay. So when are cover crops usually taken out again? Uh, I guess it depends when your establishment of your next crop is going to be. Uh, so if you are uh, going to be uh, using a destruction method, which is plowing, uh, you need to, you do, to do that uh, 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 in advance of, of that establishment of the next crop. The other alternative would be that you are going to desiccate the, the cover crop uh, and you'll be able to direct drill straight into it, uh, and so that can be right up to that 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 point of establishment of the next crop. So it's, there is a bit of flexibility there. I guess what you, you might need to guard against is that new that cover crop starting to grow again in the spring, and and um, it, it's going to. Uh, make that uh, um, direct drilling uh, you know more pr problematic. 
um, some of the carver crops will will die off in the winter. They're not winter hardy, and, and, and so there you know there are uh, d different different factors to consider. And I think if you want to be gaining from the nutrients that that cover crop has soaked up uh, during the uh, its growing period, you need to perhaps incorporate it in February. Uh, to allow that that breakdown and release of nutrient to be there uh, to to give the the next crop uh, the the benefit of those nutrients. Okay, and Robin. Yeah, um, it is really important that you can um, knock knock back the the cover crop effectively. Otherwise, you you can end up with problems with the the, the main crop that you're going to be sowing. So yeah, that that gap is really important. Um, so yeah, possibly late. Well, it depends on weather and things like that. But you know, January, February, you'd probably be looking to to um, knock back the the crop. Whether it, you know, you may be topping it. I mean, some people will graze cover crops as well. It maybe depends if they're in a, a particular scheme or something like that that they can or can't graze. But certainly, there are a number of people who will graze the cover crops, um, having hopefully gain the benefit of the soil improvement that they were trying to get over the previous few months. Um, and then some people would, would you know, use a, a herbicide on, on them as well. Uh, you know, there's all sorts of different combinations that people will, will use. Um, but yeah, that, that's the kind of approach that people would generally use. Um, and again, it will depend possibly what crop you're putting in next as well in terms of, of how, how you approach that but what you do need is to have that that break you know maybe a month possibly even six weeks between whether it's incorporation or, or destruction of the the cover crop um to allow the mineralization of the the material um and not cause um things like nitrogen um lock up you know the with the microbial process is locking up the nitrogen until it's it's uh, been mineralized and is available so there's that risk that all your, all the things you're trying to do are maintaining the nitrogen in, in the in the soil actually it's sitting there in your cover crop and not available for the for the main crop that you're trying to you know, the cash crop you're trying to grow next that's lots to think about um so i think we've mentioned if we're growing cover crops that it might have a problem in the next crop if it comes back through as a weed is there any other implications of growing a cover crop on the next crop well the weed issue is a very real issue and i have some seen some real problems particularly caused by radish uh, in a, a subsequent crop that was also um, from the same family, you know, a brassica. And they, it has competed very strongly with the, with the sown crop uh, and, and been a real, a real problem. So th that, that definitely is an issue. Um, and a, for some people, it may be a, you know, a showstopper to including that species at all in a, in a cover crop mixture. The other thing you need to think about is uh, a, the likes of uh, soil-borne disease like uh, clubroot. Um, and a, if a, you, you know, you're needing to protect your, your rotation, if you're growing oilseed rape, you don't want to be including mustard in a cover crop mixture because it will multiply up the um, club root uh, and uh, you know they give you give you more problems in, in the future now the radish is a, a, a brassica uh, it, it's uh, said to be uh, 
tolerant or, or of, of club root and, and it doesn't allow the club root to to increase. But I, I would still just be cautious if you're growing a high value crop, maybe you just don't want to take uh, to take that risk. So uh, th that would be uh, the, the main one for me uh, is club root. Okay, and Robin, is there anything that you think you should watch out for? I agree entirely about the, the brassicas and, and it's basically just knowing what crops you're going to have in your rotation and it might not necessarily be the, the next year, you know, you could be looking two or three years down the road so you'd really want to just make sure you've not got any species in there that could cause pest or disease problems in particular and the club root's the classic example that Donald's just, just mentioned. Mm-hmm. I've also heard anecdotally uh, uh, that uh, some of the species can be quite hard to control, um, e even with you know uh, uh, herbicide that you you'd expect to take it out and uh, shown vetch. I think has shown you know, quite a resilience, um, uh, and so it, it, I guess it depends on your on your cropping system. Uh, you need to th talk those things through with the, the the seed merchant who is going to supply you with the seed. There's definitely lots to think about if you're growing cover crops. If you are interested in reading more on cover crops, AHDB has an excellent cover crop guide and there's a link available in the show notes below. So Donald, am I right in thinking that cover crops can be used as an ecological focus area? Yes, uh, they can. For your, for your greening, um, they can be used as part of your EFA. Uh, um, and it needs to be sown after um, cereal crop or, or rape crop. Um, it needs to stay in the ground until the uh, end of December before you can destroy it, and and you can you cannot graze it during during that period. Um, the sowing date for for the cover uh, crop that it needs to be established by, I, I think. I think it's maybe October, but honestly, you know, it's you're not going to get a a, a decent cover crop uh, sowing something at that late stage. And, and as I said earlier, um, you know, ideally uh, it, it should be sown uh, end of August, early September. And if you're if you, even once you get into September, the use of a small seed. Uh, it really becomes questionable. You need that larger seed. Um, different farms, uh, you know, altitude is going to affect that establishment, uh, how, how successful it is. Um, aspect, you know, if you're north facing, and as you go further north, as a general rule of thumb, you, you know, your your opportunity uh, to to benefit from using cover crops diminishes as well. But you're right, um, cover crops can indeed be used. As, as EFA. There's definitely lots for people to think about if they're planning on growing cover crops. So moving on to green manures, Robin, can you tell us uh, what you need to think about when selecting your green manure? Well, well, as I said, green manure is, is, a, is a type of cover crop uh, in my mind anyway. So it's the same kind of principles. You need to know what are you, what are your objectives? Why are you trying to kind of grow one of these crops or crop mixtures? Because uh, they're normally mixtures um, uh, in in your system. What what is the, what are you trying to do? You know, is it things like uh, are you doing it specifically to to be part of a grant scheme, or are you looking at uh, potentially grazing? 
Um, are you trying to improve your soil organic matter um, or the soil biology, which kind of links to that? Um, or the soil structures are all of these kind of things that you could be kind of aiming aiming for um and it may be that actually you you, you make end up making silage or something like that out of them uh, if you if you're allowed to in, in a particular scheme so um there's a whole host of things why you might be growing uh, a green manure but primarily it's about trying to kind of improve the the fertility of your soil through a whole range of different uh, aspects that's that's kind of one of the the kind of key drivers i guess for doing it i gather that there's um, um other symbiotic benefits from having different plant species in which go beyond just the the benefit of having the different root root depths uh, and uh, the way that those plants interact with each other. Yes, you're absolutely right. So you kind of, if you visualize it as a 3D box above ground, so that's your above ground biomass and a 3D box below, which is your root biomass. Um, in terms of the root architecture, also basically what they look like in, and where they're placed within that, that box, that 3D box below ground, um, what you're allowing with a, a crop mixture um, or species mixture is is to explore a much broader area um, you know, vol soil volume than if you just had one species because you, you're getting the kind of synergy between the different species and, and where they're exploring. And likewise, um, and that goes for things like nutrients, but also things like water, uh, access to water and things like that. Um, you've also got above ground the same kind of uh, approach where you've got this 3D box of, of plant material from these different species and they're going to be able to access light uh, you know because it'll grow in, in different forms um, some will be taller than others some will be more uh, prostrate or spread out um, and you'll end up with like a much bigger amount of material in this kind of this canopy structure so you can again you can access um, say things like the light um, and, you, and you end up with a something called the land equivalent ratio, which means you can grow more on the same area of land because you're accessing all of these uh, different resources, uh, you know, the water, the nutrients, the light, etc., more efficiently uh, in, by having these different uh, mixtures of species with different above and below ground architecture. That's very interesting, Robin. So what kind of species would you be looking at growing and maybe which ones might work well together as well? Um, Again, as we mentioned right at the very start, a legume species or several legume species in a mix would be uh, something you'd be looking for. And one of the advantages of mixtures is you're removing the risk of redundancy. So um, if you've got a mix of species, and again, it depends what your soil conditions are like, you know, fields aren't uniform, you know, there will be a range of soil pHs within that field, a range of wetter and drier areas, a range of P and K and other kind of uh, nutrients in there. Um, so if you've got, um, and you may even have shallower or deeper soils as well, depending on where you are. So having a mix of different species in there will help reduce that risk of re um, redundancy. So if one species doesn't do particularly well, and it may be just a seasonal effect, the others will take up and fill, fill the gap and you'll end up with you know the material that you're after. The other crucial thing there is things like soil pH, uh, particularly if you're looking at legumes as well, because you need to, they're really... Um, susceptible to um, pHs 
out well it depends which legume you choose but you can choose particular species which will match your soil condition so it actually does help to actually have some indication through a soil analysis what soil nutrient status your, your soil is so that you're not picking a, a species or a mix with certain species that have almost got no chance to get going in the first place so you know you're, you're Again, knowing what you've got and trying to adapt uh, what you're growing on there is really important, so that you you know you're, you're giving it the best you know the mix or the the green manure the best chance of actually taking place. It's all right saying right, I'm going to put clover in there. I mean, there's a ra- whole host of different clovers that you could clover species that you could choose. Part of it will be how long do you want that green manure to be there? Is it just for a few months? Is it for a year? Is it possibly longer than that you know if you're kind of going almost down the mixed herbal lay type approach where you could be looking at several years but even though you've got a legume there what you're actually wanting that legume to do is improve the soil particularly in terms of nitrogen so you're wanting the rhizobia um, the nitrogen fixation to take place and the nodulation to take place and if the soil conditions aren't good for that You've, you've kind of lost that part of it. You'll still get other improvements in terms of things like the rooting structure, but what you're really wanting is to try and improve the, the uh, nitrogen fixation and get that uh, benefit over at least the next couple of years. And then obviously with things like the price of nitrogen at the moment, that's a big thing that a lot of people are really interested in is, you know, can they uh, incorporate legs into their system in some way or another? And a green manure is, is, a, is a good way to do that if, if you're primarily arable, uh, I guess, rather than a mixed farm. Very interesting. Just talking about multi using multiple species, Donald, do you think that mul- using multiple species is useful in cover crops as well? Yes, it is. Yes. And, and, I, and I should have said uh, when we were talking about the EFA, um, you need to sow a minimum of two species and there is a list of different different crops uh, uh, that, that, that can be used. But uh, it's it goes the same way um the, the more the more you have in i've heard three to five you know be, you know being the best uh, i'm i'm not sure how measurable that is maybe robin uh, can confirm that but uh, the more species the better and uh, you know from the farmer's point of view if he's he's got various different seeds lying around in the shed that he hasn't used it gives him an opportunity to to use them up uh, because Time may have passed, their germination is just not going to be there anymore. What am I going to do with the seed? Okay, I'll stick it into a cover crop mixture. Okay, so moving back to green manures again, um, when would you usually sow a green manure? Is there a specific time of year that it's better to do it or is it just as long as it's at a growing point in the season? Well, to some extent, yes, but you would normally be looking at the springtime, so probably, I don't know, April. Um, Again, it depends on the types of uh, species that you're looking at and it goes back to kind of the small seeded uh, species and the larger seeded species. So if you go too early the smaller seeded species which quite often things like clovers and what have you wouldn't necessarily get going that well in March so you'd be looking towards April possibly even a tad later it it really depends on your local conditions and you need to kind of take that into account rather than just saying it says here I should put it in at such and such a date but you know there's (laughs) you need to kind of use your use your kind of thought process a little bit um, and, and, and kind of just 
base it around your your experience of your, your own fields and your climate. Donald, do you have anything to add to that? No, I, I'd, I'd agree with that. Uh, I would think April uh, into May as being the optimum time you want it to establish rapidly. Uh, and so you want heat and you want moisture uh, to, to aid that. The only other thought would be that uh, if you if you do put it in early and and it is just in for a short period because you're going to um, maybe sow uh, a crop um, in September, um, that some of these um, plant species and and I guess uh, it could be some of the clover, some of the radish, they get quite lignified and uh, they can you know. Be, be a little bit of an issue uh, with equipment, cultivation equipment, uh, drilling equipment. Uh, so, so it's just an, another factor to uh, to bear in mind. One of the other things we've not really talked about is actually um, by fumigation potential of some of these species, which basically, um, particularly for things like if you were growing. Um, potatoes in your rotation you know particularly seed potato crop you may possibly um be putting those in later than you would maybe a main crop potato a little bit but if you can get some of these um brassica species some you know some some have been particularly bred to be uh by fumigants so basically they once you incorporate them they, they uh produce fairly noxious <laughs> compounds which which can uh, fumigate the soil and reduce the risk of, of certain or, or theoretically reduce the risk of certain um, pests and pathogens which you know in terms of potatoes that's quite an important thing so it, it's another type of green manure I, I guess but for a shorter period of time um, and again things like that you, you know we've talked about a lot about nitrogen there's certain species which will uh, be really rapid uptakers of things like phosphorus um, and, and brassica is actually quite good at that but um, and some things like red clover is quite good but things like book uh, not yeah buckwheat um, uh, is 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 really really good at taking up phosphorus. So if you're in a, a, a phosphorus deficient soils, or there's maybe plenty of phosphorus there, but it's not necessarily phosphorus available, using buckwheat as a way to actually access that. And once that breaks down and mineralizes, the, theoretically the phosphorus is more readily available to the following crop. So there's other things that you could be looking at in terms of these um, these green manures. It's not all about nitrogen. There's plenty of other things and, and things like trace elements as well. We talked about the big tap roots um, if you can get obviously the roots further down the soil then you can extract or the plants can um, access other nutrients like trace elements and things like that from further down the soil profile and obviously bring that up so when they the those uh, materials are are broken down and mineralized um, some of those uh, trace elements should theoretically be available for the you know the, the, the kind of main crops the main following crops there's definitely a lot for farmers to think about. I feel like they really have to know the purpose of putting the green manure into the ground instead of just going ahead and doing it. There is a summary um, of a Soil Nutrient Network meeting, which is available in the show notes below, and it goes and shows some of the different sowing dates and the different benefits of different green manure crops, as well as what different soil types they prefer. Um, so it's a good way to get a better understanding of some of the crops before you go and plant them so when you're establishing 
the green manure, would you recommend putting some fertilizer on or does it not need it? Again, it will depend on what you're growing. <laughs> there's, there's never one size fits all, unfortunately. Um, and again, you need to think about it. So if, for example, you uh, had legumes in there, if you start putting nitrogen on, then th there's less chance of them or the, they will tend to have less nitrogen fixation taking place because they'll utilize the nitrogen that you've applied. But you, it may be that you put some P and K or something like that on um, in, to a small amount it, it, it kind of depends really what it is you're trying to do but in terms of nitrogen possibly stick a little bit on but if you if you're really trying to get the nitrogen fixation to to you know to work adding lots of nitrogen isn't going to actually help that all you're going to do is just the the, the legume will just access the nitrogen that's available in the field and not do, do any fixation Okay. Donald, do you have anything to add? And, and perhaps not on the fertilizer point of view, but it, it just occurred to me, you know, we hadn't uh, uh, mentioned the biodiversity uh, benefits into insects and pollinators of some of these cover crops uh, or um, uh, green manures, particularly the clovers. Your field will, uh, if you have uh, clovers and phacelia, uh, included in those mixtures, you you know you really are going to become B central, uh, and uh, bring, bring, you know attracting in pollinators. Uh, whilst they, they they don't benefit cereal crops uh, because they pollinate themselves, um, if you're growing a, another legume such as beans uh, or other crops that require pollinators, um, you're going to boost the yield of these crops. Um, uh, you know, through having that uh, that crop growing in the summer, and off off the back of that, um, again going back to the mixtures as well. If you've got a mixture of flowering species in your your green manure, they'll be um, flowering at different points over the period of time. So you're actually expanding the the chance of of, of um, you know the beneficials being able to access you know, feed essentially uh, from, from these plants over a much wider period of time. Um, and, and, you know, Donald mentioned um, Vesselia. I mean, things like crimson clover is, is amazing um, for um, biodiversity in terms of pollinators and things like that. But it's a very short seat. You know, it's, it's basically, it's an annual, it's a one season type clover. So it's a, it's a, you know, it's a short period of time. So if you put that in your mix, you'll probably get, quite a lot of nitrogen fixation in that season but it, if you were wanting to kind of carry it over into a longer period of time you wouldn't necessarily get that um, and things like um, buckwheat as well um, isn't particularly uh, frost tolerant as well so you know it might do it have done its job by the time the winter comes if if it was in for then um but you're not going to see it follow through into you know the next year so again a lot of it depends on how long is your your period that you're kind of aiming to have these crops in the ground and what and what the purpose is and, and choosing uh, species accordingly and the management of those species accordingly Okay, so for, on the biodiversity side, um, there's funding available through the Agri-Environmental Climate Scheme for green manures. Can you tell us a bit more about it, Donald? Yes, uh, green manures are, are one of the uh, management options. Um, it's actually a stubble followed by green manure. So uh, post-harvest, uh, you leave the stubble intact, which... Uh, uh, to, to to benefit seed-eating birds, 
uh, and and then in the spring, uh, you establish uh, the green cover, uh, and that uh, green cover from memory needs to be established um, uh, by by I think the fifteenth of May, uh, and you can choose to then follow that uh, green manure crop by uh, wheat uh, uh, or, or certainly an autumn sown crop. So you're not linked into leaving that green manure down until the following winter. Uh, un under the EECS, you, you get paid a management payment for the stubble and you're given a capital payment uh, for the establishment of the green manure. So it's definitely useful to have a look um, at getting the funding if you're wanting to have green manures then. Yeah, yeah, that, that green manure can be rotated uh, around the farm. So it can actually come in as part of your rotation over that five-year period. Excellent. So once you've had a green manure, how soon after um, the crop's been destroyed should you be sowing your cash crop? Uh, it's much the same as with the other cover crops, really. You do need to, you know, you can't literally just incorporate, you know, knock it back and incorporate it and then decide to kind of put in a, your, your cash crop within the next, a couple of days. You do need to give it a chance to um, to break down. And, and uh, well, and part of it is actually in terms of trying to get seed beds and things like that as well can be a potential issue if you've got lots of biomass uh, there. But, yeah, you need to give yourself a... a I would say a few weeks, ideally, um, rather than going straight in, because otherwise, you you know, the, the risk is <laughs> your your cash crop isn't going to um, establish as, as well as you'd like. You need to think about that biomass that's been created. If you've created a large biomass, how are you going to incorporate that in? Uh, and 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 that you know is going to be a factor in determining perhaps how you you destroy it, whether you mulch it uh, and and disc it in. Uh, or if you're going to uh, use um, herbicide uh, to uh, to desiccate it, uh, a, a bit of thought uh, does need to go into that process. Uh, uh, and whether you're going to be doing traditional cultivation or you're going to try and do uh, uh, direct drilling. The other the other thing linked to that is the herbicide options that you use as well, because you don't want them to have an impact on whatever you, you're putting in um, soon after as well. So to make sure that there's a compatibility there in terms of how you knock back your green manure and what crops you might be putting in because um, you don't want the herbicide to impact negatively on your, your, your you know your cash crops in the in the near future i'm assuming there's as well there's implications of the weed burden um in the following crop as well yeah much the same as with all the cover crops you do need to be a bit careful of that um if they are annual species as long as you're main, making sure that uh you know they don't go to seed um and again you may do that through various methods it could be grazing it could be topping or whatever um, or herbicide and that's one approach if it's a perennial species in there it's a bit trickier um obviously most clovers would be perennial so you do not sometimes find clover pops up um, in fields uh, on a regular basis where it's been grown, but that's maybe less of a problem than, than some other species, I guess. But yeah, you do need to be a bit careful uh, and, and manage that accordingly. 
Donald, is there anything else farmers should be aware of in the next crop? Uh, I think, uh, yeah, weeds, weeds definitely. Uh, and as we mentioned before, you have that club root risk, you know, in terms of soil-borne disease. Um, so think about the species uh, that you're putting in. Um, I think would be the main thing uh, in addition to the weeds. Excellent. So if you're interested in listening to a podcast from a farmer's perspective on green manures, there's an excellent FAS podcast with David Fuller-Shapcock and Audrey Littrick, um, and their link is available in the show notes below. So for both cover crops and green manures, how do you prevent pests and diseases surviving through the winter on a green bridge and having an impact on the cash crop? Well, that's, that's the trade-off, isn't it? It's, it's a tricky one. Um, and if you have used um, a cereal um, in, in your post-harvest uh, cover crop, you are providing that green bridge. If you're doing it through EFA, I don't think you're you know, uh, allowed, to, allowed to spray. Um, and, and I think it, it's, it's a bit counter, counterintuitive to... Uh, be, to be then using a pesticide on 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 um, a cover crop, uh, so it, it's it, you're just running running that risk. I, I, I'm not sure if there's uh, any r- real way out of that. The more biodiverse the mixture is, I think that that threat will be less than if you have a single you know species sown. Um, so that in itself may be your your you know your best best way uh, to protect yourself and then destruction of the crop uh, er, uh, early in the in the following year uh, would then also be uh, perhaps the the action to take one of the the key things there is again is just species choice and and choosing something which is less likely to have an impact in terms of green bridge um in your you know the, the following crop um and it's not an easy thing, but having the mixtures there should theoretically lessen the risk of, of disease and pest burden carryover. I think if you use oats in preference to barley, uh, that, 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 that's probably helpful, or, or, or indeed triticale, which after all, you know, is, is, a, is a wheat rye cross. I mean, one of the... One of the things that, uh, I mean, if you've got things like forage rye in there, I mean, there's certain species which have got this allelopathic or, or at least a, a perceived allelopathic effect. Um, so, again, there's, a, there's, an in, there's an implication there in terms of making sure that um, you're um, knocking back those species if it's your green manure before it has an impact on, on say, the germination of your, your following crops. So, I mean, I know this probably ties in with what we've spoken about in some of the earlier bits of the the uh, interview. But, you know, again, choosing what crop you've got there, if you do need to have an awareness of whether there's an, alle- an allelopathic effect uh, which could could impact on things um, and again that ties in with the having the the gap um, you know between incorpor- well, destroying or incorporation of, of of the green manure and when you maybe sow uh, your next next crop as well which we didn't touch on earlier but it, it's an important thing to be aware of thank you very much to both of our speakers today and thank you for joining us for this episode of cropcast If you have enjoyed listening, please like, subscribe and follow our podcast available on the FAS channel. 
Leave us a review to let us know how we're doing. And if you'd like to get in touch, you can find all of our contact details in the show notes below. You may also enjoy some of our other shows, such as Stock Talk, our monthly panel show providing timely advice on livestock management, or Thrill of the Hill, a monthly show featuring guest speakers who live and work in the upland environment. Join us again on the 17th of August for our next episode of Cropcast. The Farm Advisory Service Podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government.